Ohio lawmakers are considering a bill that could dramatically alter the price of a life-saving drug. The law would cap insulin prices in Ohio to $100 a month. Supporters of the legislation say a quarter of diabetics have rationed their insulin because of the price, which can lead to serious, serious health complications. I am joined now by... I'm sure you've heard the stories in the news, on social media, and maybe even in your own family. Many people in our state and around the country are struggling to afford the cost of insulin, the medication that more than one million Ohioans require to live. Over the past few decades, insulin prices have skyrocketed, more than doubling in just the past few years. This has led to a precarious situation in which patients with diabetes may go without their insulin or may not be able to afford to take the prescribed amount, leading to so-called insulin rationing. As we discussed in this episode, this is no hypothetical situation, as Ohioans risk serious health problems and even death if real policy change doesn't come. Luckily, we have some strong Ohio-based advocates on the case, two of whom we talk with today. This is Prognosis Ohio, WCBE's healthcare show. I'm your host, Ohio University Health Policy Professor, Dan Skinner. My guests today are Ohio State Representative Beth Liston and healthcare activist and Capital University student Catherine Poe. Beginning in 2019 with her election to the Ohio House of Representatives, Dr. Beth Liston represents the 21st House District, which covers Dublin, Ohio, and surrounding areas. Currently, she sits on the Aging and Long-Term Care, Health, and Economic and Workforce Development Committees. Notably, however, in addition to being a state legislator, Representative Liston is also Dr. Liston, a graduate of the Ohio State University College of Medicine, who remains in practice and affiliated with the Ohio State Wexner Medical Center. She's also a professor of clinical medicine at OSU. Along with Representative Liston, I talk with Catherine Poe, a healthcare advocate, community organizer, and writer who's currently enrolled at Capital University, majoring in creative writing. As Catherine explains, she came to advocacy around insulin pricing through an experience she had as a patient. During our conversation, she tells us a bit more about her involvement with various organizations around the nation. Before turning to our conversation, I want to remind listeners to please subscribe to Prognosis Ohio on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Please also visit the WCBE Podcast Experience page at wcbe.org for more information about the show. You can also be in touch with us with show ideas or comments on Twitter at, at @prognosisohio or email us at prognosisohio at gmail.com. As listeners know, in 2020, we're going to be launching a bona fide underwriting program. Please consider being an early adopter and email us. Okay, now to my conversation with State Representative Dr. Beth Liston and healthcare advocate and activist Catherine Poe. Thank you, Representative Liston, and thanks, Catherine Poe, for joining me on the on the show. Yeah, of course. Happy to be here. I'm pretty sure that most of our listeners have some basic idea why insulin is so important to Americans, to Ohioans, to all people. And they also probably know, because it's in the news, that insulin prices are out of control. But I wonder if we could just start with the very basics, and if I could have each of you just talk a little bit about the issue itself. How, how do you think listeners should be thinking about this issue before we get into some of the recent developments and the advocacies that you're working on? Sure. Well, I would imagine everyone who's listening to this knows someone with diabetes if they don't have it themselves, right? 30 million Americans are dealing with this disease. And for people that have it, the medication insulin is, is critical, especially for those who really rely on it and have 
the youth form of diabetes, which is when your body doesn't actually make insulin. So for those individuals, this is a medicine that's as necessary as water or air for life. If if they don't have it for a day, then they can get a very life-threatening complication very quickly. It's called DKA, diabetic ketoacidosis, and they can die. So this isn't something where, you know, it's a choice. It isn't something that they can, you know, eat differently. This is a medicine that is critical to life. And so it's really important that everyone knows that and is able to get that. And Catherine, what would you like to add? You know, at least for me, you know, I was insulin dependent very temporarily. Um, And I think that that is something that I've found to be the most important is that, you know, it's not just people with type 1 or type 2 diabetes. Um, People can become insulin dependent for a number of different reasons. For me, it was because I was on steroids. Um, Pregnant women, cancer patients, literally anyone because of messed up blood sugars can become insulin dependent for short periods of time. And so it really is a drug that the chances that you're going to need it at some time during your life, it's pretty high. Um, And so for prices to be as high as they are, it's harmful to people that are not only suddenly in a situation that they weren't trained to deal with, nor did they grow up with, um, but it's also harmful to people that have needed it since they were three. It's a medicine that everyone needs at some point in their life. Now, you say high prices, and just to give listeners a sense, so by out of control, we mean things like the price has more than doubled since 2012, right, in that window, from roughly $20 for a 10-millimeter vial to, uh, in 1996, um, to $290 a vial today. But I know that even those numbers, there's tremendous diversity. I've even heard the number, I think it was you, Catherine, speaking about this, saying that it could be from zero, depending on your insurance, to $1,700, right? I mean, it's completely like the Wild West in terms of the pricing. Yeah. So with, let's say, type 1 diabetes, it can be something up to $1,700 because you also have to buy the supplies too. So insulin, you know, let's say you're a college student at the very beginning of January, all of our deductibles are suddenly kicked back in. Right. Happy New Year. Your deductibles and everything are reset. (laughs) Yes. Um, And actually, if you follow a lot of like diabetes, um, insulin for all pages, they were all warning patients, hey, it's January, you need to watch out, your deductible is coming. And so especially January, February, March, you could probably pay $400 a vial for a 30-day supply of insulin. And that's like a low, that's a low estimate. When you look at the actual sort of financial situation of many Americans, many Ohioans, $400 is a ton of money. And it's probably going to produce insecurities in other areas, such as housing or food or things like that. Yeah, and keep in mind, most people need more than one vial. So a vial doesn't mean that they're going to be set for the month. They may need four vials for the month because most need at least, you know, most need two different types of insulin. So Representative Liston, there are a number of issues you could choose uh, when you are a legislator. You kind of look out there and say, where can I make a difference? What can I do? Why is this an issue that you and your colleagues, I know you're working on this with the Senate side as well, and with my representative, Kristen Boggs, mm-hmm. uh, why this issue? What, what, what is unique about this issue, or is it just an area where you think you can really make a difference? So maybe a little bit of both. I mean, I work in the hospital setting, so that's been my practice site. I see the complications from diabetes. I see the acute complications. Um, there's a lot of people that come in with that DKA, and when you talk to them, it's because they've been rationing. They've been trying to make the insulin stretch further. And then, truthfully, I think it's just been 
building. Um, there's a lot of increase in the number of diabetics. Mm-hmm. I keep hearing about it from different individuals, from constituents, from those who are passionate about making sure people get the medication. So I think that it's been a growing need, both within my constituency and then even within my practice. Also, I do think it's an important way for us to take a real look at prescription drugs in general. Most people have experience with this medication and understand it. And so I think it helps to really look then behind the curtain at what the pricing is and really apply it to other medications because it's not just insulin that people may need in order to live. This is, um, you know, there are many different products that are unaffordable for those who need it. And so this is a great example model that helps us build a, a process to help more individuals. Yeah, in 2019, we had a lot of discussion about pharmacy benefit managers in Ohio. Mm-hmm. The dispatch ran a really tremendous series on this. And it seems like there's also this moment, aside from the growing numbers of diabetics, the growing numbers of people who are, you know, are dependent on insulin and being gouged by these prices, there's also just a moment where people are really angry. It seems like it's one of the issues where a lot of Americans, a lot of Ohioans are starting to really speak out against the prices. So maybe you have a lot of constituent support that maybe wouldn't be there a couple of years ago. There's a moment here. Yeah. And I would say that that they're really upset um, because it's impacting their lives. I mean, people feel this healthcare is something that everyone has need of and experiences and, you know, will value and People are feeling the pain from it. Yeah, at the announcement that you had, um, and we're going to talk about the legislation in a moment that that uh, kind of brings us to this moment. But um, when Catherine spoke and you had others speak, we're talking about people who've lost children because uh, they couldn't access an insulin. People are rationing. It's not just not having insulin. Even for a lot of people who do have some insulin, they don't have enough, so they're spreading it out, which is, as a physician, you certainly know that's extremely dangerous to do. Mm-hmm. Both in the short term, as we're talking about, but then in the long term. And it's, you know, complications of diabetes can be lifelong. If you wind up having kidney failure as a result and then need dialysis, that's obviously an individual issue, right? That hurts the person. Mm-hmm. It also hurts the system. It's much more expensive to deal with those long-term complications than to try to you know, make sure people have what they need up front. Yeah, we've talked about this on the show with Dr. Ray Bignall at Nationwide Children's, just about the, the kidney, um, you know, the end-stage renal uh, program and kidney Um, funding. I mean, it's an extremely expensive way to go, aside from the ethical horrors and just the stories of losing loved ones or the long-term health consequences. Catherine, you come to this issue as a patient originally, and now you've turned advocate you're a self-confessed uh, rage tweeter about healthcare issues and, you know, a really strong voice. And you're also a college student. I wonder if you could just tell me a little bit about your journey, how you became in, involved in this, and maybe how the two of you started working together on this issue. Um, it's, it's really wonderful when legislators bring in people. I know that sounds crazy. But... <laughs> It's always about people. Right? No, it is, but we don't often enough do that. And uh, I think that, Catherine, your voice in all of this has been a really strong one. Maybe you could just tell us a little bit about, you know, where you are and how you come to this issue. I originally got involved because, so I got a 
bone marrow transplant from a non-related donor in July of 2018. And before that, I had had a chronic illness. Um, I'd had a systemic juvenile idiopathic arthritis and a rare blood condition as a result of that, MAS. Um, probably since I was 15 years old. Um, and the treatment for that is really high cost biologic medication. So you get a bag of immunoglobulin, which I still receive to this day. That's like thirty to $60,000. Um, and any biologic that I was receiving, like I think I was on one that was like $60,000. So like just out of the gate, I understand what it's like to be completely dependent on a medication mm. and spend every single second of your life in high school like trying to get this medication like I would regularly receive phone calls and have to leave class yeah. to argue with an insurance company because I was 18 um, my senior year of high school and so like I already kind of had that background and so post bone marrow transplant I became a temporary type 1 diabetic as a result of being on high doses of steroids mm. and I had never done this before so like I'm someone that's done of course you're 18 <sighs> yeah no I mean I like I mean I had done chemo at that point I had done biologic injections but like insulin was hard like it was really really difficult and I was kind of fascinated by it because I'd never experienced something that was so you had to be so detailed oriented. It was all about like calculating carbs into your body and out of your body and being super aware. And so I wanted to learn about it. And so I kind of went on this like, I don't know, like a hundred day medical bender because yeah. I wasn't allowed to go outside post transplant. So you just became a researcher. Yeah. And so I kind of taught myself and it, it kind of devolved from insulin to like the rest of the medical establishment right. that I'd been living in my whole life. And then I would go to appointments and talk to my doctors and be like, how does this work? Like, tell me. <laughs> um, and so after that, it was in September that I was no longer insulin dependent. And so I kind of like put it away. I put it in my fridge. And it was in September that I started seeing stories about people dying from insulin mm -hmm. um and I just remember one reading one in particular and walking downstairs and opening my fridge and realizing that I had like three months worth of worth like of liquid gold almost yeah. Right? yeah and this person had died he was 26 he was in Minnesota because he couldn't get insulin yeah. And not only did I cry, but like I just knew, like I understood at a fundamental level what it was like from all of those appointments before arguing with doctors trying to get medication, what it's like to think that your entire life hinges on someone's ability to say yes or no to you. Yeah. And so fast forward six months later, and I saw the insulin copay cap law um, that Colorado passed. Mm -hmm. Immediately, I was like, I'm very interested in this. And so I went and found it through an article, copied and pasted it into a document, went through the Ohio Revised Code and like kind of tried to make like a rough draft of what it would look like. Uh -huh. And then started, I call it speed dating. I started speed dating it around to my legislators. Um, so standard stuff you do in your late high school, early yes. college years. <laughs> what all your colleagues were doing. Uh-huh. Yeah, and I mean, like, I go to I go to school capital, so it's like ten minutes away. Yeah, and so in between classes, I come here and talk to people about insulin, and I love it. Like, I love doing it, but it's also like wildly important. And 
I came in contact with uh, Beth Liston because the wonderful organization T1 International, um, which kind of works on the issue globally um, as well as like just nationally, they had already made a connection with her a couple of months earlier. And I got in contact with them because how I kind of started it was I just sent everyone that I thought might want to be involved like a like an email. Yeah. And then whoever responded to me, uh, that's how I got my information. And they were one of the people that responded to me. So eventually we kind of like combined efforts. And that's how we got involved together. Let's turn, though, you mentioned the Colorado bill, and let's turn to the Ohio situation. So, uh, Representative Liston, so as I understand it, we have essentially a a bundle uh, of four different pieces of legislation that you're working through the process of building support for, and you have co-sponsors, you have support on the Senate side. Can you just tell us a little bit about how you thought about this issue and why these four pieces? Yeah, absolutely. So I I think that when you dive into how to make sure people get medication and how we pay for it, it can be really complicated. Um, we've already talked about some of the layers, the pharmacy benefit managers, uh, and there's a lot of people who are interested in transparency and you know really looking at pricing. But for me, I really wanted to just say, okay, how do we get medicine to people? I think there's a lot of room for transparency. I think there's hopefully a lot of movement in the federal level, and I think we're building support at the state level. But in the end, I don't want to wait (laughs) five years until we now know what the prices are and why um, to make sure people get their medicine. So that's where I think this insulin copay cap, I think, is really important because it focuses on the person that needs it right now. But I also know that... We need to build that support and develop the conversation so that more people understand the issue. And we do need to understand why the prices are um, where they are. So for me, as we put the bundle together, I was thinking through that. How do we make sure people are talking about it, understand the issue, have awareness? um, And then how do we, on the long term, look at transparency, but in the short term, get people the medicine? So I think of the four bills as doing that. Um, We have one bill that really just looks at screening in a minority population. And for Asian Americans, they are more likely to get type 2 diabetes, you know, a little bit different animal, um, at a lower basal metabolic rate, at a lower BMI. So they had been interested in a resolution that bring forth that concept and made people more aware. So that's a really focus on screening. Focus on screening. You know, what can we do to prevent um, in the populations where we can? The second bill is awareness of the complications. So I think in young people, you know, who are just dealing with diabetes and learning how to do insulin, um, there's a lot going on. And although I'm sure they've been told, and I'm sure they, they might know it if you asked, that concept of, wow, if I don't take my insulin today or tomorrow, I might die, is, is important for them to know. And for everybody who deals with this issue to know, we're not talking about a long-term thing. So that's the second bill, is Diabetic Ketoacidosis Awareness Day. Um, And we worked with Antoinette Orsham, who also has a strong passion for this issue in that her child, unfortunately, um, and tragically died from insulin rationing. And I'll be linking to that that video so listeners can watch it, and they really should. It's it's extremely moving. Yeah, and the date that we chose for a Diabetic Ketoacidosis Awareness Day is, is is in honor of her. We have a third bill that looks at pricing in Ohio. 
you know, ask the attorney general's office to investigate. Hey, really, we want to make sure that our consumers and people and patients and, you know, we're all protected from um, bad actors and practices that are gouging individuals. And so we have a bill that in Colorado was lumped together, but I thought in Ohio it would make sense to sort of separate that mm -hmm. out because I think different people would support different components. Yeah. And then the final one, the fourth bill, is that make sure people get the medicine. Let's make sure that it's affordable for everyone um, for that month's supply. And you're looking for a cap at $100 for 30 days, if, if yeah. I've got that right? Yes. You know, altogether then, I mean, there, there are a number of different actors that are going to have to be involved. I mean, the pharmaceutical companies are obviously being called out for a lot of criticism federally in the Democratic primary <laughs> right now and elsewhere. There seems to be a lot, you know, it's one of those areas that there's a lot of consensus across the aisle um, around pharmaceutical companies. What, what are the major barriers to this legislation coming to fruition? Is it just about relationship building and, and educating and explaining? So... I think that it, it is certainly relationship building and understanding the issue. Um, the more you talk to people, the more you realize how universal it is or the more it becomes concrete how universal it is because mm. everyone knows someone affected. They really do. From a policy perspective, I think that the, the barrier is in, again, I think focusing really on the patient and understanding that at this point it's a little unclear who's doing what and so that's the long-term goal but there's a lot of no it's not me it's them that's doing it right. and we're we really are the good guys in this whole sort of circle of how drugs move so at in this bill truthfully I, the pharmaceutical companies I, I think will actually be pretty neutral um in terms of support i think if you are not insured, you actually can, from many of the pharmaceutical companies, get the medication for this price or lower. At least that's what my understanding is and what they've right. shared with me. Um, whether that's easy to do, whether there's a lot of hoops, I don't know. So if, so if we but. do reduce copays, then pharmaceutical companies would still get paid, but insurance companies would have more responsibilities, essentially. Right. And the concern would be that if that cost is shifted to the insurance companies, then it may be shifted back onto the general population. Now, I would argue, and I still do argue, and I will argue again um, in the future, that that money up front saves healthcare costs in addition to saving lives. Because then you're not dealing with a complication like diabetic ketoacidosis resulting in a hospital stay at a minimum, right, if not death, but a hospital stay that is, you know, can be an ICU stay and can be several days and, you know, tens of thousands of dollars. Or a long-term, you know, kidney failure dialysis that's yeah. a lifelong complication. Yeah. But in the short term, and unfortunately sometimes we're often looking in the short term, especially when you're talking about you know, people that may move in and out of different insurers. The insurance companies often think a little bit shorter term than I might um, with this. You know, that the concern would be that it just raises rates. Hmm. Now, in Colorado, they did commission a study to look at if it were just passed on to the consumer. Let's say the insurance company says, okay, it costs us more. We will completely pass it on to people who pay insurance. They found that the likely increase would be less than a dollar a person a year. So... That's the scale that we're looking at, um, and I think most people see that as a small scale, but the the concept is the barrier right now. Right, right. I think one of the biggest challenges we have in healthcare is getting people to think about the system. You hear, well, this is the price of this thing, or it takes three months to get this 
you know, drug or whatever. But the real thing is that, you know, once we actually put good systems in place, then we can reduce the overall costs and actually improve people's health outcomes. It's extremely hard to get people to think in that way, though, especially when you're trying to, like, pass a biennial budget, right? right. And you're just looking at the numbers. Representative Liston, being a physician who's a legislator, I'm thinking you have lots of experience with patients over the years that you bring to the table to make sure that that human aspect, you know, is, is up front all the time, but also things like bringing Catherine into this process. There, there, there are too many legislatures around the country where they make decisions about these kinds of things in isolation, and then patients show up and, you know, they'll chain themselves to fences or, you know, this kind of like protest act, but involving them in the conversation is a much smarter thing to do because patients have knowledge that legislators don't have in general. Obviously, I hope the listeners will contact their representatives and talk to them about this issue and find out more. Um, also, I wanted to give Catherine a chance. So you, you work with an organization. Could you tell us a little bit about the organization that you're... Yeah, so T1 International um, is a really great organization. They work on an international basis. Um, they also do a lot of national work. And it's basically a group of grassroots activists. They are not supported by pharmaceutical companies at all. Mm -hmm. um, it is all people on the ground that live with type 1 or type 2 diabetes all day, every day. Um, and they are the people that are leading the fight for insulin for all all over the country. They just do, they do wonderful work. Um, and one of the members of the organization is actually currently running for U.S. Congress. So it's it's starting to work its way up into the the national spotlight too. Well, I want to thank you both for you know not only talking with me about this issue and sharing information and inspiration with our listeners, but also just for the work you do. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Prognosis Ohio is hosted by Dan Skinner and produced by Dan Skinner and Mark France. You can subscribe to Prognosis Ohio through WCBE's webpage at wcbe.org, where you can also find show notes for this episode. This week's notes contain information about both of our guests, as well as the bills we discussed at length. You can follow us on Twitter at, at @prognosisohio and email us your suggestions and your feedback at prognosisohio at gmail.com. If you're interested in underwriting the podcast to bring attention to your product, your event, or your cause, please be in touch. I assure you, we are worth it. Thanks for listening to Prognosis Ohio.